This episode of the Text Here is brought to you by Private Internet Access. Pay only $2.91 a month US and get two years of secure web browsing. Sydney's freshest tech podcast, hosted by Harry and Andrew. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Tech Sphere. This is episode number nine. My name is Harry. And I'm Andrew. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about how US has charged 12 Russian hackers who are tied to the 2016 election. Google Chrome starts shaming site for not using HTTPS. I interview Ahmed Kanji, the CEO of Gridware Cybersecurity. And I talk about my top picks of cameras. So first up, we're talking about how um, 12 Russian hackers has been tied to the um, DNC cyber attacks. Um, yeah. That was, well, the, the 2016 election and how there's a whole scandal about how Russian hackers have pretty much... It just uh, never stops. Like, yeah. <laughs> we've heard so much about the, the, these elections. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we really have. We really have. It's, it's, it's getting worse, I reckon, which is probably not a great thing. At all. Well, it isn't a great thing. Not probably. So what happened on the 13th of July, the uh, the US charged 12 Russian hackers for, you know, phishing emails and hacking into other stuff. So Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein said the hackers used spear phishing email and malicious software. And they're able to steal half a million votes from the state election board website, which, you know, that's pretty crazy. It is. And that's a lot of uh, a lot of data to be taken. And essentially what the Russian hackers have done is use that data to be able to influence um, their votes on, I guess, whichever side that they are. They are going for, and uh, so this was back in um, this was back in twenty sixteen, um, March twenty sixteen. Yeah, March. Yep, yeah, March twenty sixteen, uh, and it's been, uh, I guess, uncovered that indeed twelve Russian hackers uh, are involved in this um, in this uh, cyber attack, and uh, there are charges being pressed. So it took them a little bit of time, but. We finally got there and um, uncovered really, well, what really happened. And, you know, of course, the Kremlin has fired back saying that there's no evidence to say that Mm. the uh, 12 uh, people, that there was any form of uh, military intelligence or hacking. He claimed, they claim that it's an old duck, which is interesting, (laughs) and a heap of conspiracy themes yeah. Uh, so that, that was coming from Moscow's foreign ministry in a statement. Uh, they always got to say something to protect themselves. Yeah. It's but yeah, the rising game. <laughs> yeah. The rise in cyber attacks is um, definitely something that we should be worried about. And more importantly, the, how especially government systems, how they really should be uh, thinking forward in trying to beat the hackers, the cyber attacks. Yes. Because it's only going to be a matter of time before, one, this gets worse, and two, they start targeting a lot more serious um, events or um, perhaps, you know, processes mm-hmm. within within the government industry. And that's not to mention the general public as well. Oh, yes. Uh, 
we're 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 so slowly stepping into one scary uh you know world aren't we we are we are um but but thankfully there are people out there and companies out there that are putting their best efforts uh into you know trying to trying to tackle such issue which we'll be talking about later in this episode so stay tuned for that there are some very interesting words that have to be said so moving on to some lighter news um apple oh i'm excited already yes so the new Apple MacBook Pro. Gotta love the new MacBook. I was actually quite sad when this was announced because, yeah, I didn't get mine too long ago. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so a new line of MacBook Pros just got released. Um, of course, as expected, with higher specs and higher performing components. Uh, with a little bit of a, a controversy in it, though. <laughs> we'll talk about that a bit later. <laughs> So um, this new MacBook uh, now ships with the Apple's T2 chip. Um, it also comes with a True Tone, which basically automatically changes the color temp of the screen. I don't know if I'll be using that if I've got one of those. Uh, oh, I I definitely think I would, especially with photo editing. It it but helps a lot. Wouldn't it mean that if you know if you're using you know like Photoshop, you know, it could potentially change the color of your whites, uh, you know, depending on what time of day it is. Uh, yes, yes. Um, well, that's that's pretty well the 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 point of it. As like my my friend, well, I'm, I'm borrowing at the moment a a color monkey uh, mm-hmm. screen calibrator, and after getting the screens calibrated, you can leave it on your desk, and it will actually measure the color temperature in the surrounding environment, and will adjust the screen's temperature accordingly. Oh. Um, sometimes it is a bit dramatic, but you can change it down. So if it, if it's anything like that. I think it would be of of a big help, especially um, in rooms that are like, say, you got a window facing directly mm. to the sunlight. It'll help quite a lot during like I don't know sunset or whatever, where your eyes uh, tend to adjust to the orange light. But we'll see how it goes. It'll be interesting to see how Apple yeah. approaches that. Um, hopefully, it is nice and accurate and smooth. Otherwise, we'll be seeing some either really cool or weird. Photos on like Instagram. Yeah, you could say they're going to be very <laughs> cool images. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, another thing that I think is worth noting is the new butterfly mechanism that they've got in the keyboard. Because as we know, anyone who has had a had a um, the previous MacBook Pro would know that it can get a little a little noisy. I know, uh, Andrew, you had you had one, didn't? Well, yeah. you've got one. So what what are your thoughts on the old keyboard? Yeah. Um, it it does get a bit. There's a lot of tactile sound that comes from it. Uh, not not something that's mm. a bit uncomfortable for me. Um, but having a quieter keyboard, I think, is definitely a, a little bit better because it can it can yeah mm. can get a bit loud. Um, but I, I I'm loving the new the butterfly mechanism because at first I was like oh this is like comparing to the old uh, Apple keyboards, it's very very harsh feeling mm. and stuff and. Uh, there's not too much tactile feedback in, st- in terms of um, the key height, so it's a bit hard mm. to differentiate uh, between the different keys. But after using it for, I mean, within the first week or two, I got used to it really quickly, and I'm. It actually makes me type a lot faster. That's good. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to uh, try out the new quieter version and 
Hope it doesn't convince me to buy a new one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's, so as usual, they've got two variants. They've got a 13 inch and a 15 inch, of course, because, you know, Apple. And mm-hmm. both come in <laughs> silver and space gray. And oh, I gotta love that space gray. Yeah, gotta love space gray. So, if you're looking to purchase one of these computers, it's going to be $1,899 Australian dollars. So, that's about $1,405 US dollars for the 13 inch. And for the 16, sorry, for the 15 inch, 15 inch, you can pay from $3,499 Australian, which is about $2,590 US. So, yeah, Australia tax. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit on the pricey side. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really trying not to be an Apple fanboy here. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yes, yes, it's really hard to justify the price. Absolutely. Uh, especially when you can get like higher performing PC laptops for, you know, $1,000 less pretty much. Mm. But, I don't know. I, I, it's like for me, as an appreciator of of aesthetics and build quality and the overall design of it, and and the fact that as a creative, I as like many creatives, somewhat do prefer the uh, Apple platform mm. for their sim- simpleness, subjectively. <laughs> yeah. Um, of the interface, but that that's a whole different argument. Oh yes, it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the the specs of this lovely new yes. machine. So continuing um, continuing on, they've got a Retina display, which I think they've been doing for a little while, uh, and it's got two hundred and twenty pixels per inch, which is that's a that's a pretty nice, that's a good bunch. That's a nice pixel, a nice group oh, yeah. of pixels. And now, it sure is. <laughs> now, where I like to look at this is how much it will cost. For you to get the absolute <laughs> spec'd out PC, oh, I'm sorry, not PC, the ma- spec'd out MacBook, <gasps> you can for the abs- for the absolute max amount of money that you can spend, you can get a 200, sorry, a 2.6 gigahertz six core eighth gen uh, CPU, which can turbo boost up to 4.8 gigahertz, and you got to love this. So that's an extra 480 dollars Australian. You can get 32 gigs of RAM, DDR4 RAM, which once again, if you want to just kind of point out how much everything is with uh, Apple, it's an extra $640. What? Um, four, a four terabyte SSD uh, for an extra $5,120, you know, as you do. <laughs> um, so that's coming to a grand total of 10,339 Australian dollars. So that's about 7,654 USD. You know, I could get a couple of computers with that kind of thing and then, you know, maybe you just burn a couple of hundred dollar notes while I'm there, as you do. Oh, yeah. Apple. But would it look as nice as a MacBook Pro and would it be as slim? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, but yeah. No, nah, yeah. That, oh, look, I do have to, that is a lot. I do have it to is. give Apple. They do make things that look nice. Absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, it... it it really is the Apple tax, yeah, the brand. But as well as, I mean, they do like to make things compatible and really, really test over their stuff, mm. which is in the PC world is very, like, extremely hard to do because you got like mm. 
thousand millions of component different components out there that yeah that has to run so fair play to them uh yeah actually another uh, well an interesting little thing is apple has teamed up with black magic Ooh, wait do you mean the color the uh, the color the color correcting color correct color grading software company yes and or well, the camera company yeah that- company as well oh yeah <laughs> oh, i completely um, forgot about the cameras <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they make great cameras, all right. <laughs> yeah, so they've teamed up with Blackmagic to create an eGPU. Um, e is not like electronic or anything. It's actually the external GPU. So, wow, this is this is a big move for yeah. Apple. So for, for people who don't know what eGPUs are, they actually allow you to connect an external graphics card or, sorry, like a desktop-grade graphics card into a laptop. So pretty much just using the... A USB Type C connector that is on the MacBook, and along with any other uh, PC that actually supports uh, USB Type C, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, so it's going to add a lot of uh, great functionality to to the new MacBooks, and especially uh, graphics is a lacking department for sure in the MacBook Pro areas. Um, so I, I think that's a good that's a good jump on board. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so according but to, of course, it comes at a price. Uh, yeah, well, everything comes at a price, Andrew. <laughs> Particularly in an Apple world. <laughs> so according to oh, yeah. Black Magic, it can speed up the graphics card by two point eight times on the MacBook Pro. What you know, as you know, with pretty much every single Apple product there is, it is plug and play, and once again, in a very Apple fashion, it is non upgradable, which. You know, you got to love that, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit poor. Yeah. But it's good for those people who aren't willing to upgrade it. Well, more like not willing to do it themselves sort of thing. Uh, so it has four USB ports. It has two Thunderbolt ports. It has an HDMI out, which can, for example, if you're using an HTC Vive, it can allow you to see the 360 content, which I think is pretty cool. Mm. And it's coming to, you know, you, you can buy it for a grand total of $1,149 Australian. So that's coming to, if you want to get, you know, the maxed out MacBook Pro, you can get 11488 Australian dollars. So let's, uh, let's get staving. <laughs> that's a car right there. <laughs> that is a car. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't all smooth running for the new <laughs> release of the MacBook, no, actually. No, it was not. A tech YouTuber by the name of Dave2D uh, actually created a video on um, the new MacBook Pro and testing out its performance. Um, what he came across, though, with his testing was the fact that after a certain amount of time on rendering, um, the MacBook Pro was thermal throttling was occurring um, when the MacBook War is obviously overheating and that caused a, a major controversy it did didn't in it? the apple world i think i've seen so many videos on youtube saying oh you know put the, the macbook pro is throttling and oh it's overheating don't get it all that kind of stuff but yeah yeah but i think it's good that, everyone loves to bash on apple yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but you know since everyone loves a good since um this has happened Apple has obviously, you know, they've actually reached out to uh, Dave T- 2D and, you know, asked for all his you know, like camera settings, you know, what, how does he record his stuff and all that kind of stuff and have mm-hmm. worked with him to actually come out with a, a patch for the MacBook 
for the MacBook yeah. Pro, which, you know, is a very, very good thing. So, now anyone who has yeah. MacBook Pro, well, the ninth generation MacBook Pro um, will will no longer be having any throttling issues, or at least not to the same extent. It, obviously, there, there, there will be some level of throttling because, you know, laptops just can't. That's just the nature of. Yeah, yeah. La- laptops just can't get the, the the right amount of cooling unless you, you're willing to yeah. have like a really fat body. That's right, that's right. Or unless your Linus and wants to submerge it on a little bit of water. Yeah. <laughs> but I suggest you don't, you know, I, I, I strongly suggest you don't try that. Yeah. I think I, I, think um, I remember seeing a video by, or I, no, I, I didn't see the video. I remember because I, I was doing a bit of research for this um, this episode and Dave 2D said he actually put his MacBook Pro into a freezer. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, during the video, he did put it into a freezer to uh, to confirm that indeed the MacBook was thermal throttle, <laughs> uh, which which it was, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, Dave2D, for, I guess, investigating that issue and um, hopping on board with Apple to be able to fix the issue. Yeah. So, for all the public to enjoy most of the power of the i9. Yeah. The wonderful Intel i9. Maybe they'll have. I wonder if they'll ever do external CPUs. That would be really interesting. Yeah, that would really. I really wonder if. Yeah, but then what's the point of having a laptop? I don't know. Yeah, you might as well just have a desktop, hey? Yeah, because you know you're not going to be able to move no. it around, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and but well, because uh, external GPUs work because it uses the uh, computers like. In, like internal CPU, GPU. I mean, most laptops these days do come with a um, a, a dedicated graphics card mm. unit. Uh, so inside it, it, does it, it just kind of take over control instead of using the um, internal GPU? I'm pretty certain. Yeah, um, it, it just it, it ignores the internal one and then just goes and uses the external, the power from the external one. Yeah, well, so, okay, so technically, I guess, in theory, it should be possible if once, you know, the the power of CPUs can be transmitted over some form of USB port or whatever in the future yeah. of USB port, um, yeah, maybe we'll have external CPUs, which I think would be pretty cool. External CPUs. A modular, fully modular computer, just need more power. Plug, plug it in. Yeah, plug it in. That'd be cool. The next thing I think we'll probably talk about is Google Chrome. So in a recent update, uh, they've actually started shaming websites, which I thought was pretty funny, who don't use <laughs> HTTPS, which is uh, like the secure Good on way. them for doing so. Yes, it is definitely something they should be doing. So nearly two yeah. years ago, Google made a pledge. They said that they would name and shame websites that used unencry- unencrypted Connections, a strategy designed to spur web developers to embrace HTTPS. And on Tuesday, the 24th of July, they finally followed through with that promise. So with the launch of Google Chrome version 68, Google will now actually shame people (laughs) who still use unencrypted sites. And... Actually, so I actually installed the update myself for Google Chrome and uh, tried it out myself. And yeah, they've they've started doing it. Mm, okay, I should probably get on that as well because I haven't really. I mean, so you you may notice. So you know how like sometimes when you're using Google Chrome, it comes up with like a big red kind of thing. Yeah, it's like this cipher is not safe. Go back. It doesn't do that, which I think 
Okay. I, I mean, I, I'd kind of like, I'd like them to, to do that, but I, I see why they're not because people will probably get really scared and not go onto that site. Yeah. But what does come up, if you know in the top ha- top left-hand corner where it has like a little green kind of little lock symbol, I think it is from memory. Yep. Yep. Green little lock if, with the word secure next to it. I'm looking at it right now. Yes. Well, if you're on a site that doesn't use HTML, HTTPS, it'll just come up with in like a like a just plain kind of text, it'll say not secure. Yeah. And then, you know, you can click on it and then it says that, you know, it's not secure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's a good move by Google. Uh, hopefully it does mm, definitely. In- incent- incentivize um, many web developers to be able to implement HTTPS um, because, you know, it's it's something that we expect from pretty much every site. And it's not like a whole new revolution of of web development to be able to incorporate that. It's uh, been around for a long time. So mm. for those who are developing websites and you don't put it in, big brother Google is shame watching you. you. And shame on you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we want our data secure, damn it. Andrew, we've all been in this situation, surfing on the web at home, at work, or on the go. But while we're busy watching YouTube clips, someone else could be watching us. That's right. While connected to public Wi-Fi, there could be anyone spying on you. And it's easy as that. Even on your home Wi-Fi, your ISP can tell what you're looking at and when. However, we have a solution for you. And that's private internet access. PIA is a simple-to-use VPN service that provides state-of-the-art multi-layered security and privacy. It can allow you to browse the internet privately and securely, hide your IP address, from the real world and even supports torrenting. All this on up to five devices simultaneously. They have over 3,000 servers in 28 countries, which even allow you to unblock sites while traveling. Simply follow the link in the show notes below and sign up for two years of secure internet browsing for only $2.91 US a month. And if you're not happy, you get a seven-day money-back guarantee. Wow, that's pretty good. It's available on Windows, Mac, iPhone, Android, Linux, and Chrome. To get PIA, follow the link in the show notes. Always remember, kids, use protection a topic that is becoming more relevant every day with everyone and their dogs having access to the internet but with this comes the increase in cyber crimes something that businesses in particular have to be mindful of as they're housing large quantities of sensitive data with us today is a man with over 15 years of experience in the field has managed countless data breach investigations and is ceo of gridware Cybersecurities, ahmed kanchi hello and welcome to the tech sphere hey how you going good thank you so i think what we probably will start off with is for our listeners of the tech sphere who don't know what cyber security is, what is it? So cyber security is an element of any company, small or large in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and it's trying to protect what is actually valuable for them now, which is things like their digital information. And so cyber security really is all about making sure that your digital information stays safe. Most companies have become digital companies. Even your florist has your information on their system. And so big or large, whether you're a bank or a florist, I think for any business owner today, it's quite important to ensure that their information stays secure, not just financial information of their customers, but other things like their business information and financial documentation, all sorts of things. It's about how do you ensure you keep it safe and it's for only the right people's eyes. That's sort of a uh, explain it like I'm five for cybersecurity. So what are some of the services that your company provides? So we do a few things and really it depends on the needs of the customers, but you know, we like calling ourselves cybersecurity experts, but really we're a team of differently skilled professionals. And so some of the services we do is, and what I like to say is 
why don't you try getting hacked by us before you get hacked by a malicious person? So some of the services we do is what in the industry we call penetration testing. And that's where we get our ethical hackers to actually try and find vulnerabilities or exploits in your company's security and your defenses and highlight them to you and how to fix them before a hacker can actually utilize it to gain access to your information, your customer information. So we do a range of things like penetration testing. We also do risk assessments. So we look at your business holistically and from a governance perspective, uh, we align international best practice standards. So people sat around all these experts and written international standards on how to manage information security for any organization, large or small. And so we keep that in mind. So we lead auditors and we look at your business operations and, and try to align and figure out where the gaps are. So we figure out what you need to do to stay secure and then we help you do that. So you were talking about mitigating damage. What, what would you say are the steps involved in mitigating damage from a client systems in a potential breach? There are a few things you can do to mitigate damage and that's if, you, if you're anticipating that damage might occur. In the industry, we're saying it's no longer a matter of if you get breached, it's really a question of when. And we've been doing some studies that's shown that almost... Uh, close to 90% of Australian businesses in next year, 2019, will suffer a cyber breach to some extent. And for most people, it might just be people trying to log into your emails mm. and being unsuccessful. Or for others, it might be full-blown being able to download your customer list or your, the worst case scenario. So there's a full spectrum of, of how much damage a person can do. Because it's a matter of when, companies need to be smart and realistic that there is a likelihood that your company security will be breached. Because what we've come to see, and I've worked on about 100 different data breach investigations just in, here in Australia in the last 6 to 12 months, and what we've seen is the smartest companies have something called an incident response plan. It's a form of business continuity like disaster recovery where you anticipate that something might go wrong. And so the business has sat down, the board has sat down and thought about, okay, if we do get breached, what are some of the first steps we need to take? The first step is calling an expert like Gridware. The next step is make sure we have all the right stakeholders in the room to make a decision. Mm. And then the third step is, okay, let's start investigating what has happened. Let's lock down our system. Let's shut, shut it down, make it offline uh, so we can gather our thoughts, figure out what has occurred. So there are a number of steps involved in trying to mitigate your damage. The smartest companies think about what's the most appropriate steps for their organization. And sometimes it can be as simple as, okay, these are the logs. I need to investigate the issue. And for others, it can just be about containing a breach. So there's a number of things. It really does depend on the nature of the business. So in light of the recent indictment of 12 Russian hackers for influencing the 2015 US election, we've seen cybercrime reaching a level that could threaten our democracy. What would you say is the biggest damage that cybercrimes could pose in today's world? The average malicious individual, the, the average hacker today, has realized there's no more value in breaking into your home and taking your DVD player or mm. taking your laptop. And so what we've actually seen is a shift from physical crime. Sydney is a great example, which has shown year-on-year -year reduction in the amount of petty crime and theft. But it's one example where they've seen an increase in cybercrime. And so because of our aging population, that might be one factor, but we've actually seen a huge... Sydney is one of the largest targets in the world for phishing scams. And phishing, mm. phishing scams is a, is a type of cybercrime that involves someone either 
misrepresenting themselves. So, you know, hello, I'm from the ATO and this is your bill. Mm. Or it can be uh, even more complicated, which they start to call social engineering, which is they learn a little bit about you and then they do a fraudulent sort of email, fraudulent contact uh, to try and manipulate you. So I would say the biggest danger at the moment that cybercrime poses to our society is is this fraud threat and the fraud risk is where people try to misrepresent themselves and ask you for money. Um, and that's something that's been rising year on year. Now, looking at from other, from a more uh, a more cynical, like not, not a cynical, but from a higher level, um, and, you know, we've heard about things like Russian hackers influencing the elections. Um, we've seen a nation-sponsored cyber warfare that comes from China that attacking government servers, government information, you know, trying to get leaked submarine plans and so on and so forth. I've been able to identify those as Chinese government-sponsored hackers. Mm. And the other, you know, the more obvious one is we've seen what um, North Korea has done to a company, a South Korean company um, like Sony. And um, when Sony released uh, the, uh, uh, the, the Seth Rogen movie um, about uh, the North Korean dictator, Mm. Sony suffered actually one of the largest uh, cyber breaches um, in modern history, you know, after after Yahoo and so on. And a company of 10 to 15,000 employees were running on Gmail for close to six months because their email servers were um, completely encrypted and completely taken down. So, you know, that poses a danger because that has an impact on our economy. One of the economic risks at the moment is the threat of cybercrime. As cybercrime gets more sophisticated and more complicated, things like um, our markets uh, will need to improve their defenses. Machine learning is not coming to to also assist our everyday life and AI, but um, that's something that Elon Musk has said is, um, let's hope AI is good to us. Mm. And, you know, hackers are finding new ways now of, it's currently been a manual process to, to try and do cybercrime. But think about the dangers of when machine learning and AI start to be used for, you know, adverse things like cyber crimes. Mm. I think this, the future is a little bit scary, but um, it's a bit cat and mouse. So people like us are working hard to try and find ways to use that technology from a defensive side as well. Most definitely. What would you say are the merits and drawbacks of increased encryption? Do you think they outweigh the other? For those that might not um, be that technically uh, aware, encryption is basically when you use cryptography to mask what information is in the file or in a, in a certain location. And then the part of the cryptography is that it provides you with a key and it gives you access to, like a key can open your door, it gives you access to that information. And so increasingly, encryption is being used to protect data from the people that don't have the key or the wrong hands. And the benefit really is that it's a great way to secure information. Most devices now come with encryption. Uh, your phone, for example, in its, uh, in its off state, most Android devices, for example, and if you enable encryption, what it will do is make sure that when your phone is off, all the data in the hard drive is completely encrypted. And the key to opening the device and opening that information is in either your fingerprint or your password or your pattern. And so until you provide your pattern, all that information is locked. So if someone was to steal your phone, for example, your laptop, all your precious data stays encrypted. And that's what things like cloud computing is actually doing, uh, is ensuring that your information stays encrypted in a, in a rest state or in an idle state. Not every cloud, 
um, and not uh, as long as you have to you, you look at the settings and what the cloud provider um, actually gives you. Um, but that's really the merits is that it it does give you a key and it doesn't leave the information in a, a non-secure idle state. And you know, back when I was very very young, I remember you know working with some e-commerce software in the in the late 90s, where it would store customers' data and credit card information in a text file on the website. So it it could be as simple as going www.froggywebsiteshoppingcart.com/customerinformation.txt. Oh wow! And obviously, we've evolved a lot from then. Um, so the benefits of encryption has been that things like that are not available anymore. At least it's not very easy. And encryption can become difficult to decrypt. So that's where that's where this is where the drawbacks come in. Is we always think that encryption is difficult without the key, but what about things like quantum computing? So that stuff is coming faster than actually we anticipate. Um, IBM's Watson, the ability to have um, computing on a blockchain. So for those that don't know, there are some uh, crypto technology at the moment, blockchain technology that will allow you to have ready access from your phone to millions and millions and millions of gigahertz of CPU power at any one time. You just have to pay for it. And so they say that 256-bit encryption on your data will take millions of years for the computer to guess it. But what about when quantum computing comes in? What mm. about when computers get smart, smarter and faster? And so the, really the drawbacks is um, as the technology gets smarter to break code, we have to increase the technology to, to, to make the encryption more and more secure. So I feel that 256-bit is, um, is, is something that's going to be decommissioned in, in only a couple of years' time. And many people will think I'm really stupid for saying something like that. But the reality is that, you know, technology is getting faster. And so we also, the, the drawback is that our protections have to also get just as fast um, and keep up with uh, sort of the black hat community. Um, okay, so I think we're going to be wrapping up. One final question. What can a consumer do to better protect themselves in the, you know, the cyber world against different things that, that could uh, attack them? I always think of this like when I talk to my dad and my dad is a tradie and, you know, he just has one van and, and, and does, you know, uh, work here and there and sort of does manual labor. And I always think about what can he do to protect himself from a cyber attack. One thing I always suggest is think about where your sensitive information is held. Sensitive information can be things like your quotes, invoices, your credit card information, your customer's data. You have to treat your customer's data as securely as you treat your credit card information. And that's what many small businesses are sort of just getting a grasp on today. But what I would suggest is look at where your sensitive information is and try to improve the security um, of where that information is held. So if you put your information in a Google Drive, go into your Google Drive, have a look at your settings, make sure that it's not shared, make sure it's not global. For things like your email, ensure you have multi-factor authentication. It's very, very important to have another way uh, to authenticate that you are who you say you are. And sometimes your password might get compromised from a data breach. Sometimes you might use the same password across multiple devices and you know someone will suffer a, a data breach and your password will get leaked. If that's the case, make sure you have multi-factor authentication and for best practice, don't use typical, easily guessed small passwords 
again, on multiple devices. So that's really one big takeaway um, that will cover 70% um, of your cyber risk. Is there anything that you'd like to pass on in terms of your business? If you're looking for um, a cybersecurity consultation, just head over to gridware.com.au. You know, we've helped small businesses, large businesses, ASX-listed companies. Uh, We've worked on over 100 data breaches uh, investigations in Australia. So um, the benefit would be that we can give you those lessons learned before you have to learn them the hard way. So reach out to me, reach out through our website. We'd love to get in touch with you to have a talk about how we can actually add value to your business. Well, thank you once again, Ahmed, for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Harry. Goodbye. That URL again is gridware.com.au. Fun fact. Google rents out goats from a company called California Grazing to help cut down the amount of weeds and bush at Google HQ. Fun fact. Away from the little Android world and back to Apple, we've got... Oh, Apple. <laughs> we've got a new iPad leak. Not a new iPad yet. Yeah, um, not, not quite yet. We're not... We're almost. Not, not at that stage yet. Not at that stage. Well, yeah. I, I got excited. As we know, recently Apple said that they will now be allowing the uh, the Apple Pencil to be used with non-iPad Pro models. So that's kind of meaning that there's no real point to getting an iPad Pro other than to have like a bigger iPad. But Apple's plan hasn't stopped there. What they're going to do with the iPad Pro to keep it usability and functionality, or the point of the iPad Pro is now to support Face ID. Ooh. Yeah, they're getting rid of the Touch ID and moving over to Face ID, just like we see in the uh, ever so popular iPhone X. I I like I like fa- uh, Face ID. It 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 is kind of cool, and it, it it's is definitely cool. the most you know well working um, version of like face unlocking yeah. recognition thing. Yeah, it's it's crazy fast. Like mm. I tried it out the first time the other day with my my friend recently. Just got a uh, iPhone X and. I put my face into it and recognized the whole process. The moment you put the phone in my pocket, grabbed it, like just went to look at it like normal, unlocked straight away, like instantly. Wow. I was, yeah, I was pretty blown away by how, how fast the reaction was mm. um, and how accurate it is too, because I, I tried it in different several um, angles. It would still pick it up, put my sunnies on, would still pick me up. But if... I got my friend who people say look pretty close and similar to me. <laughs> um, he tried it and yeah, no matter what, what, how much we tried, uh, we couldn't get it to unlock. So props to Apple for yeah. getting that right and really, really getting it down to accuracy. However, another uh, removing feature, pun intended, um, is that the iPad Pro will possibly be lacking uh, a headphone jack. Yeah, so yeah, another device from the Apple lineup to remove Come on, the Apple. headphone jack because who uses that anymore, right? <laughs> so if you're a lover of Bluetooth, um, well, you're in luck. But if you're not, then, you know, it's going to be a little bit more of a hassle with that little extra lightning to 3.5 mil jack adapter. Yeah, included. just another thing to lose. <laughs> just another thing to lose indeed. But, you know, me personally, I'm I'm not looking to upgrade my phone simply because of the headphone jack. But I haven't used it for the past, like, year and a half, two years. Really? Have you decided to go down the yeah. uh, Bluetooth route? No, it's not that I've gone down the Bluetooth. Um, well, I mean, I have. I've recently, well, not, uh, not recently, probably for about a year and a half. 
I've bought a Bluetooth headset uh, headphones. But uh, in terms of my situation, I don't I don't use headphones that very often at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I am listening to anything through my phone would be when I'm driving, mm-hmm. and that's just a Bluetooth connection, yeah. anyhow. So, oh. I mean, that's my case. I'm sure there's many people out there that definitely love using the 3.5 mil. Look, I mean, it's not the... I, I, I know when it first happened, I was um, rather, you know, adverse to the idea of having no headphone jack. But then when you think about it, like, they will be including a headphone jack uh, adapter, you know, in the box. So... Yeah, so it's not gone forever. Yeah. It's not completely it's gone. Not, and it's just it's just an, an extra cable, and I guess that's just something that you know we just have to get used to as a society. Just adapters, yeah. yeah. Which you know, particularly for uh, Apple right. users in general, with the uh, iMac Pro. Yeah. Sorry, with the MacBook Pro. Obviously, this is all a, a you know they're all leaks, so nothing confirmed. But I feel like this is probably going to be a thing. Yeah, with the recent trends in uh, leaks from Apple. Mm. Or anything Apple, it does turn out to be quite accurate. So, but yeah, along with the um, perhaps the new iPad Pro, there is also looking to be a iPhone X Plus, Mm. um, as well as obviously a new, a newer iPhone model. So, what what gets me interesting to see how those turn out? What could they do differently with the iPhone X Plus? Yeah, well, generally the Plus is just a larger version of the model. Phones are getting so crazy right now. Mm. Like people are gonna need some serious innovation to be able to come up with some crazy new idea of what to implement in, yeah, in your pocket device. Because like I, I don't want a bigger iPhone X. Like the the iPhone X is already yeah. a huge phone. I don't know how big people would want it to go. It so is. So yeah, I personally don't see anything they could do. Although you know, knowing Apple, it could be anything. If, like you know, th- these mm. kind of things that they're they're changing, I don't really see as something that would entice me to buy a new, you know, however much I can't remember how much the yeah. iPhone uh, iPhone X was, but like it's not enough to want to make me want to upgrade it. Likewise, I mean, it's always nice having that new phone, being that that person with the latest phone and and uh, one that actually opens an app within you know two seconds. Um, oh, I miss those days. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see the future of, of smartphones. Um, if you want to leave a comment or, you know, message us some questions on smartphones and perhaps what you think about it, then yes, feel definitely. free to do so because we would love some... Uh, at the text feed podcast at com. That's right. Save that email so you can send us all the questions and queries that you might have. Um, or on our Instagrams because that's probably easier. Yeah. Instagram is where it's at. So this is a little uh, segment on cameras, which we haven't covered quite as much as we thought we would have um, on the tech sphere. We're going to be talking about how, because I personally get a lot of questions on what camera should I get. Yes, and particularly because you work at a camera store. That too, yes. That definitely helps with the amount of questions <laughs> I get. <laughs> um, it really is a a tough question to answer, and especially now that there is like a crazy amount of different cameras out there, different types of cameras as well. Mm. So we thought we should um, 
cover a little topic to perhaps get you kickstarted on choosing the right camera for you in the meantime? Yeah, so I th- I think the best way to do it is for us to break it down into a couple of categories that we can kind of like yeah. make it a bit easier for you to decide. So we've got compact, we've got mirrorless, we've got DSLR, and we've got dedicated video camera. So something that you'd, you'd use more most likely as like a purely, yeah, purely just for video. video. And I'm sure most people know about the... Uh, an example, a fine example of a dedicated video camera is like your red cameras. So let's get right started. Um, the different types of cameras. So first off, let's look at compact. So compact cameras ranges widely from your very basic, like $150, $200 camera that is referred to as a point and shoot. And those cameras are really just for that point and shooting, you know, your, your everyday basic shots works just as well as your smartphone. Now they range all the way up to something like, uh, for example, your Sony RX100 series, where they're what, would you, what you would call like an enthusiast level uh, compact camera. While it's still, you know, it's still compact and lightweight, especially very easy to carry around, it does feature some awesome, awesome controls like manual control, manual exposure, um, some creative modes, and uh, has a very nice sensor as well as a very nice lens coupled to it. In in the compact world, there are, in terms of specific cameras, there are uh, ranges across all the different brands. To name a few would be, if you're looking for uh, something that is a high-performing compact camera, you'd probably be looking, in terms of Sony, your RX100 uh, series. So you you got your Mark two now i believe all the way up to your mark six or five one of those and they're your enthusiast level compact cameras canon you've got your g your gx series so your g9x g7x and g1x they're awesome little cameras a friend of mine has the g1x it's a bit of a big fella but it is such an awesome performer i'm constantly blown away by the pictures it produces and it's like such a small form factor it's probably about the size of a smartphone a little bit thicker obviously Mm. um (laughs) so why would you get a compact over say a mirrorless or a dslr it would probably be if you don't want to get into the whole interchangeable lens system as that can be quite not only well it can be daunting to some people but it can also be outright a hassle who wants to carry like six lenses around with you everywhere (laughs) Um, mm. And I think for someone who, who else, someone else who wants to maybe kind of step up a little bit in terms of their photo quality compared to like a, a, their smartphone, but still, yeah, don't want to have yeah, those it's a, it's lenses. A, yeah, it's a good step up from smartphones and smartphones. There's like smartphones these days are getting extremely good. Mm. Like I remember, I, a friend of mine sent me a couple, like a few photos that she took just on her phone, and I was yeah, I was yeah, blown away. By this is an okay. iPhone X, by the way, and yeah, so I was blown away by the quality of yeah, the, the it's, camera. It's really crazy what what you can do these days with phone cameras. I mean, a, a lot in photography is based around the skills and the person using it more so than mm. the actual hardware that you're using. But it helps. It definitely helps. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Moving on from compact, we'll be looking at your mirrorless cameras. Gotta love a good mirrorless. They're becoming so popular uh, these days. 
And they're probably about to overtake, or if not already, have overtaken the market of DSLRs. What is a mirrorless camera? Basically, you take your normal SLR camera, you strip out the mirror, you strip out the viewfinder, and you replace it with an electronic system. So mm-hmm. advantages of that is you get a much smaller and a much lighter physical system while still having the same performance, still has the ability to change your lenses. The only real um, difference, in my opinion, would probably be it's price yeah these cameras are more expensive yeah so mirrorless are commonly more expensive than your slr counterparts pretty much because of you know it's a new emerging technology it's still being improved there are a couple of cons about mirrorless though that i find as a mirrorless user and a dslr user battery life is greatly affected so mm-hmm. especially in the smaller mirrorless, because in a DSLR, when your camera's on, it's it's on, but there's nothing that's constantly drawing power. In a mirrorless world, if the camera's on, you either have the screen on the back that's constantly on, or your viewfinder, which is electronic, that's always on. It's always going to be drawing a lot more power. On top of that, the batteries are expensive. Oh yeah, the batteries are expensive. And <laughs> typically smaller, because it has to fit in such a tiny mm. body. Yeah. There are your downsides. So in terms of mirrorless, um, cameras to look at uh, would be the Sony Alpha series. Yeah, the big mirrorless system would be um, your A7 series. So I'm sure you've, if you're into photography, you definitely mm-hmm. would have heard about it. You got your A7S and A7R. They were all coming up to the Mark III stages. They are mm-hmm. insane cameras. If, 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 if you can ever try one. The king of low yeah. light. Like, honestly, these cameras, you can get up to some crazy ISOs with these cameras. And, and that good performance. If I had the money, I'd, I'd oh, buy absolutely. one. Oh, mm. absolutely. Take a look at your A7S II, Mark II. It's like half a million ISO. Obviously, unusable. Mm-hmm. Like any image is unusable at that level. But anything up to, I think, like 80,000 ISO is pretty, pretty clean yeah. relatively. Good on you, Sony. <laughs> A great use for um, like documentary cameras. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That, that like your running guns. Yeah, just a running gun setup, uh, especially with video documentaries. Anything low light, really, like astrophotography, extremely helpful mm. because if you've ever done astrophotography, trying to focus on your subject, be it a star, a planet, the galaxy up in the sky, is just a pure headache. Being able mm-hmm. to shove it up to half a million ISO and actually physically see the galaxy on your screen in live which is crazy yeah it, it helps a lot there but if you're not looking for a full-on professional uh setup they also do have their 6000 the alpha 6000 series so you got your a6000 6300 and 6500 they're your smaller mirrorless cameras with a crop sensor unlike the a7 which is a full frame sensor a little bit less performance but they still do an absolute great job yes and i think that's the thing that most people will be looking out <laughs> <Yeah>. for <laughs> if you got the big bucks by all means go for the a7 a7r3 especially oh that mm-hmm. thing is just crazy <laughs> but just to name some other other models out there in terms of canon you do have your m series so your m5 your M6 and uh, I believe your M20. Those are also very good systems. They do take a different mount to your usual Canon mount, which is a bit weird, a bit interesting, but there are, of course, adapters for that, so no worries. You got your Panasonic G series. If you're a big video fan, Oof. then I'm sure you know those the GH4 and the GH5. They are so awesome, so lovely. Smexy cameras. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and... They also have uh, less expensive, but still uh, very, very high performing for its size, a GX85. Advantages of a DSLR. There's not 
it it was it was hard for me to come up with these. <laughs> the first thing that popped up in my mind was you get to look like a pro. Mm. It's come on, let's face it. Like seeing someone with a DSLR, you're like, wow, must be a professional photographer. See someone with a tiny mirrorless, and you're like, oh, you yeah, know, that's cute. So there's a lot of stigma around that sort of uh, having having a DSLR in your hands. But a more practical advantage is that because DSLRs have been around for a long time, technology for it is is great. I, um, it's a little bit cheaper than your mirrorless counterparts. Um, and you also do have, in many cases, a wider range of lenses. Your big competitors like Canon and Nikon, they have like an immense range of lenses mm. to use. And uh, not to mention third-party manufacturers. So you got Sigma and Tamron as your third-party manufacturers, and they obviously manufacture lenses for both Canon, Nikon, and sometimes Micro Four Thirds and um sony as well yeah some pros and those compared to if you're looking if you're comparing it to your mirrorless it has a longer battery life which in most professional cases is favored for because the last thing you want is for one for your camera to die two so you don't have to spend like hundreds of dollars on batteries if not thousands and for those who prefer a an organic viewfinder that is uh a dslr well is the only one that carries that those are some advantages but in terms of performance to weight ratio, it probably isn't the best when you look at mirrorless as well. So DSLRs are often heavy, mm. physically large, and yeah, it's just a dread to carry around, <laughs> especially when you're on jobs. Yeah. Sorry, one question that I've always been asked and can be a bit difficult to kind of come uh, get a, like a, a definite answer is, but what, do you, what about for you, Andrew? What would you say is a good camera for someone who, who is just getting into photography or into videography or whatever. And, you know, what's the, what's their good first camera? Yeah, so in terms of, like, a good first camera, if you're if you're looking to do... I mean, most cameras these days will do both photos and videos. Definitely don't ever rule out, I guess, the, the want to get a camera that can do good video because you never know. Uh, especially in my case, I was like, no, I'll only stick mm. to photos and... You know, three years later, here I am <laughs> going straight into video completely. <laughs> um, but besides that, it really comes down to what sort of camera y- you prefer using. So there is never one answer for this. And going through the different types of cameras, um, some might appeal to you, some might not. So it's about finding that sweet spot for you. So if you like a DSLR, if you like having a big system in your hand that's like comfortable and with a range of lenses, um, go to that area if you prefer something that's lighter that's more compact something that you can take around for traveling for example mirrorless would be the way to go is for that first i would suggest finding out what sort of type of camera you want and then from there um just just do some research on you know what sort of um images that you want to take if there's a specific area that you want to target such as i don't know portraits or landscapes um, do your research around that and, you know, find, find a list of lenses that you think are good for that. And that would help you learn entry level cameras, uh, Nikon and Canon have a ton of, uh, which you can gladly choose just to name a few on your Nikon side, you got your D5600, your D3400 or your D, for example, your D7200. So those are three cameras I would be looking for. I think even like just your your mobile phone is a very good camera as as we've seen over the recent years. It, like, yeah. 
you don't need a fancy, you know, DSLR or a mirrorless camera to be able to get great photos. It's whatever you've got. I know that sounds so wanky, Absolutely. but it, it's true. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it really is. And the the saying the best camera is the one that you have on you is just, it's just so true because it really doesn't matter what you have as long as you can visualize and you know what the photos you want hmm. to take. My, in terms of learning photography, my opinion would be to definitely try and learn how to use manual. Mm, yeah. Get off auto. Yeah. Get off auto. That's the first thing that you should, well, not the first thing, one of the first things that you should really try to encourage yourself to you do. You're not really taking photos. Let yourself decide how you want the image to look. Don't let a computer decide. By learning different aspects of your camera's control, such as your shutter speed, your ISO, and your aperture, by understanding how those works and how those affect an image, that would greatly expand your mind on how to on how to control your image and get that image that you've always wanted to get. Yes. And then who knows, maybe one day you'll you'll become a professional photographer or something. The sky's the limit. So yeah, that's a little bit about cameras. Hopefully that gets you kickstarted yep. on some ideas. The, the, the best thing you can do for yourself is just to get out and start shooting. Doesn't matter what, doesn't matter how, just start shooting. I think we've uh, we've got enough for an episode i think that's a a great episode of episode nine of the tech sphere yeah nearly at 10 um we hope you enjoyed today's show and we hope to catch you in episode 10 yes i can't believe we've made it this far i know it's it's crazy like yeah yeah as always if you got any uh questions or if you want us to cover anything specifically um feel free to get in contact with us either via our podcast email the text fear podcast at hobohuntmedia.com or there's there's the internet just use facebook or, or you know via the facebook page or via our individual instagram pages like honestly best way to get in contact with us whichever way pleases you most anyway my name is andrew and i'm harry and this was the text fear bye bye